Wouldn't it be nice to take a spring break from some house payments? Savewithconrad.com can show you how to skip your next two house payments and get a cheaper monthly payment. We routinely help our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And I'm talking to you if you're in a 30 year loan or if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much find out right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, it's no cost, no obligation. And if I can't save you money, I won't waste your time. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and we're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Lower your monthly payments today at savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. You may have been expecting a little more Grill and JR content. That's coming your way tomorrow. But today, we figure, you know what? Let's make the most of our little quarantine time together, and let's talk about the best new series on professional wrestling. Of course, we're talking about Dark Side of the Ring. It airs Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on Vice. And joining us again today to discuss the Dr. D Slap Heard Round the World episode the creators of that show, Evan and Jason. Jason, how are you, man? Good. How you doing? Man, I'm excited to be here. Evan, have you gotten any sleep? It feels like every time I talk to you on Wednesday, you're dragging a little bit because of the afterglow of your baby airing. <laughs> that and all the wrestlers texting me at four in the morning, getting their opinions yeah. in. You yeah, know, there's a lot of times like I'll call Evan like the day after. And he's like, man, I was up to like 4 a.m. talking to this wrestler. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, man, no, no sleep. <laughs> yeah, they all take it out on me. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm hanging in. I'm going to hang in as best I can today and give everyone, you know, the best of what I can today. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a little slower than normal, I think, today. Jason, start from the beginning. How does this subject make it to your list? Like as a tape trader, I was first familiar with this in, I don't know, probably 1980 or 1996 or 97. And it became something that a lot of guys sort of passed around on VHS. And that's the first time I saw it. But if I'm honest, I haven't really thought about it since, but it is a fascinating story. How was this on your radar? I think I'm even a few years older than you guys. <laughs> well, I was born in 82, so this event happened, I believe, when I was like two years old, so I didn't know anything about it at the time. But this is, it, you know, the, the clip of David Schultz slapping John Stossel, the 2020 reporter, is kind of one of the very first, I think, like viral wrestling clips. Yeah. Like even I, I remember even when we got our first computer and there was, you know, uh, like wrestling clips um, from years prior to myself, like watching it, like appearing online, I remember like seeing that clip and it being like almost even from what I remember, even one of the first kind of viral clips just in general that I saw online. And it was just, you know, it was at the time just so captivating, like to see something like that, to see something just so like raw in that way that is all it's always stayed in my mind and so well it's all well it was it was it, it was like the it was like the winnebago man of wrestling clips you know yeah um and 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 i think the very first time i saw it you know again just being the age that i am you know i didn't and because you know david schultz really was kind of out of the limelight 
by the time I was, you know, getting hip to wrestling that like it was kind of like, who is this guy? You know, this clip was so funny for, you know, like a better word. And it's also amazing. But it was kind of like, you know, who is this guy? And what's the story behind this guy? And I, I never really, you know, knew much about it, but I'd seen it like hundreds and hundreds of times. And then it was like for when it came around time to discuss season two topics, this wasn't really something that was on. I think our radars as a story, right, Jason? Like this wasn't something we ever talked about as a, as no. a doing as a episode. It's it's like always been brought up as just one of those like pivotal like moments, you know, that people talk about. But we never really thought at first like, is there really enough there right. to like tell an hour's worth of yeah. television? You know? Yeah, and exactly. And so, and then after season one um, came out, we. Uh, I got I got contacted by two separate people. One is a wrestling promoter named Herb Simmons, and um, I was also contacted by Barbara Goodish, who is Bruiser Brody's uh, widow, and they both told me independently that um, basically, you know, David Schultz um, is ready to tell his story now, and like is is like looking for you, you know. And I was like, whoa, really? And uh, and then I was thinking like, whoa, that's interesting, and. So, so it was really one of the first times that, you know, because now we had this, the season out, it was really one of the first times that, like, a wrestler has approached us to tell their story. And so that really was, like, interesting. Yeah. And then, I, and then I, starting to look at it, it was kind of like, well, you know, we could kind of look back at not only just that moment in time, which is amazing, but also, uh, like, the context of it is, is key, but also, like, that whole 2020 expose because it really is one of the one of the first like national tv exposes i i I believe you know it's one of the first like big ones on that scale and so it was kind of like and then you kind of look at how it comes at a very interesting time in wrestling history you know when the tide is about to turn kind of going from wrestling to sports entertainment and so it's kind of like you know what's the whole context of that situation how did this piece come together and then, of course, like, wouldn't it be fascinating if you could get John Stossel to talk about it? So, Jason, talk me through this. How do you guys get John Stossel? Because I got to tell you, it feels like he would have been the hardest person to pin down for this story. You guys already had a relationship with Jim Cornette. You said Dr. D was looking for you. And I feel like, yeah, you know, I feel like well, you, yeah. before that, too, I also wanted to say, I just recall, too, the first time I met David Schultz was at StarCast mm. uh, when we premiered uh, the, the Bruiser Brody episode there. And I, he was like, really like one of the people I, I didn't know at the time that I wanted to like tell his story. Right. But I was just so intrigued because I knew he was friends with Bruiser Brody and like Evan and I are just so captivated, captivated with meeting people who like come from that era mm-hmm. and who like, especially the, like the wrestlers who walked alongside like Bruiser Brody, there's just something just so fascinating about like that group of like performers at that time. So, and even when I met him at Starcast, like I was like I was intimidated. Like I I kind of paced I think in front of his table maybe for like 20 minutes before I like built up the courage to introduce myself. <laughs> and he was like he was nice. He was a little standoffish, but we like ended up walking down the hall and he just kind of reminisced about Brody a little bit. Um, but I felt like comfortable enough with him that I was like, when we, when we came up with this idea of the episode, I was like really excited and intrigued to like spend more time with him. Cause I knew there was a lot there. I knew 
that there was a lot kind of hidden underneath this shell. That there was way, there was much more to this man than this like ex, this like really tough exterior that he's like putting out here. <laughs> um, uh, so, but to jump forward to getting in contact with John Stossel, I do remember that being like difficult. I do remember just even like the process, like when we did get him, like our time with him was just so limited. Yeah, he we only that, had yeah. we only had like what like. 30 20, minutes. 25 minutes, probably. Yeah, I think it was 25 minutes. Um, it actually was uh, someone who doesn't get nearly enough credit for, for season two, um, which was our series producer, Alex McIntosh, um, uh, is, uh, w- who, works, who, who worked with us on, on uh, season two. And he, man, he did everything. Um, he was right there on the front lines with us yeah. producing this season. And uh, he actually... Uh, it, it was either he volunteered or was tasked <laughs> with actually, you know, you know, Project John Stossel um, in terms of getting him on on board. And it was Alex that actually reached out to him, I think, through ABC News or like found some way to get in touch with him and got in touch with his assistant. And then they kind of traded some emails. And then, then he finally got his opportunity to talk to John on the phone and they had a conversation about it. And, you know, yeah, it was very like, you know. John said essentially the same stuff that he said on air, you know, as, as you know, it is like annoyingly one of the things that people always ask him about, you know, so many years later out of all the pieces he's done and, um, you know, and the, talking about the lawsuit and talking about the, the jurosomatic illness. Um, and then he, he, uh, he, he agreed to doing it, but it was basically like, I'm going to give you 25 minutes of my time and like, you know, which is by far and away the shortest interview that we've ever done for all of the show. Um, but so we use pretty much almost every single bit, uh, from his interview is in the show, but, um, we were so excited. Actually, one of the more, more exciting moments, uh, for me, um, to, uh, for, you know, like getting, getting him on board because I was just very exhilarated by, um, just the, like the thought of like intercutting, you know, John and David in the episode and just yeah. how, like how, how that dynamic is going to play and being able to really make that scene of like in that hallway and like everything leading up to it feel like very, uh, feel, feel big. Um, so that was something we were really excited about. And, um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were, yeah, it, it kind of felt like, okay, this is really going to be cool now because we'll, like, we'll be able to kind of tell a different side of the story too, which we always, you know, we always try and do. Um, so yeah, so it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a huge win to get John on board. Before we, uh, talk about everything else that we saw in the episode, I feel like we should talk about the other person who we haven't mentioned, Eddie Mansfield, uh, Jason, right or wrong. I have been sort of conditioned as a wrestling fan to hate Eddie Mansfield just because every shoot interview I've ever seen from any wrestler ever seems to hate Eddie Mansfield. And then I finally got to see some of him last night where he's saying, Hey, Fabe, how stupid is that? Who came up with that? And you know, it's very sort of, <laughs> I don't know the polar opposite of what we've heard quote unquote, old school wrestlers to think and behave like, what'd you think of Eddie Mansfield? Your first time you, you got to meet him or had an interaction with him. Well, I actually wasn't there for, for this interview. It was one of the few interviews I didn't get a chance to be there yeah. for because I was doing other parts of the show. But 
it, it like, you know, in most cases when we do interview wrestlers, they're, you get that side where they're defending it and they're defending, defending the integrity of wrestling, um, especially wrestlers who come from that era. So it was fascinating to hear from somebody who has like a completely opposite perspective for the most part from that we're normally used to hearing. Yeah. And um, when we were putting this, this together, so, and just to back up just uh, like a little bit, when we first talked to David, so, you know, David, David really wanted to, to talk to me um, and, and to get in contact with us to, to actually do this episode. And David and I had a very long conversation on the phone. He was super cool, super charming, and, you know, um, was telling me all about his, his life and um, the, the, basically like what he does today, which is like his whole like sleep cycle and him just like working out in these fields and building stuff. And, you know, he's, he hasn't slowed down one bit. And, um, and then from there, it just kind of was like, okay, like he's a really compelling character for a documentary, no doubt. But it was kind of like, once we have that in place, who else are we going to get to talk about this? Obviously John Stossel, right. but we, we are going to need other voices. And, that's when it was kind of like, okay, let's try to make this episode kind of, um, you know, a a look back at the 2020 expose, and obviously Eddie Mansfield plays a huge part of that. So we, because um, he's he's like the counter, he's like the counterweight to the whole thing. You know, he's the person exposing the business when you have David as the one standing up for it, and this whole story too just speaks like to our core themes of our show, which is we always look at the reality versus fiction aspect of wrestling. And, and, um, and, 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 and this is kind of our, uh, uh, way of covering the, the wrestling is fake question mark, you know, phenomenon, like, you know, and, and kind of looking deep into that. And obviously we knew Jim Cornette, like th this would be a great vehicle for him. <laughs> Um, because it's, it's, it's a subject he's very passionate about, you know, and, 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 and so we thought he would be a great historical voice for this. Um, but Eddie Mansfield was absolutely crucial because, you know, he's interviewed in the piece and he can talk and, and explain his side of the story. And the fact that he is this kind of, has been this kind of lightning rod of, you know, controversy to the, to those in the know, uh, about his position on, on wrestling and his, and his, and his position and his motivations for what he did. So, um, we didn't really, you know, sometimes interviews that are the hardest to schedule, the hardest to get on board are the ones you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, and this one was extremely challenging, uh, to get, uh, booked, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and uh, again, this this was um, somebody who we'll have on the show next week, uh, which I'm really excited about, is Howard Sheffman, who is uh, one of our story producers who works very closely with us. And he did basically everything you could possibly do on the Herb Abrams episode. But he also was working on this show. Um, he was working on this episode with us and he reached out to uh, to Eddie Mansfield first and just, you know, and and. They spent like two hours on the phone talking and it the conversation kind of wavered back and forth between like Eddie's side of the story, like, you know, really passionate side of the story and also kind of like implications towards like like that he would that there would be violence towards us if we told this story, <laughs> you know, and it was like <laughs> and it was like. It was it was like this 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 like these kind of like threats, you know, like don't tell this story, like don't mention my name. And if you do like uh, or else, you know, like uh, 
my uh, I, I know some people in Brooklyn, wink, wink, you know, and stuff like that. And so it was really like, whoa. And then he basically, by the end of the conversation, was so heated about us just like, you know, wanting to talk to him and tell the story, you know, once and for all that um, he basically declined and, and said, you know, basically don't do this or else. And so then we were kind of at this like weird place because we're like, man, are we going to have enough voices to really fill out this episode? Um, and, uh, and so then it was like, oh man, like, what are we going to do? And so we actually just like, you know, went, went, went ahead filming it and we were filming David and we filmed Jim and everything. And, um, and, and then it wasn't until, uh, a mutual friend of between me and Eddie uh, got together and started to t- open up conversations again. Um, he's a guy named Stu here in Toronto, and we we just kind of re- reconnected, reset everything, ha- had a fresh start, <laughs> you know, took the threats away, had a fresh start, and then tried to like, okay, let's let's tell the story. This is the story we want to tell. And then it was kind of like trying to build that trust up again. And I have to say, like, this episode was um, one of the more challenging episodes to build trust with our with with our subjects, mainly David and Eddie, because, you know, look, I mean, this this story is about the distrust of media, you know, in, right. in, in, in like in a lot of ways, like these guys feel like they have been burned by the way they were portrayed in a piece on television. So because of that. Like it made it really challenging every step of the way. As much as I love David and his and and then the, the situation with Eddie, it was it was every day was like it was hot, like we were on, and then it was like cold. We're dead, like literally for months, even up until recently. You know, so it's it's been one of the more challenging uh, episodes, just from like a ma- a personal management point of view in terms of being able to like tell the story. I have to say, I think out of almost more than any other one. Um, but uh, once we got to uh, Houston to interview Eddie, like it was all cool, um, you know, and it was a pretty, <laughs> it was a pretty wild interview. Um, but you know, we, we were super happy just to have it finally in the can um, because this was a real challenge to find the right people to talk about it. And that's why there's, and you only see four voices in the show, so uh, there there is a reason for that. I'm fascinated. Why would why would Dr. D be difficult if he's the one who reached out to you? Um, sorry, what was that? You sort of insinuated that this was a difficult episode to put together and it felt like it was on and it was off and it was hot and it was cold, especially when mm-hmm. you're comparing, you know, the, the situations or circumstances you had to secure Eddie, but also Dr. D, but we started this conversation by seeing Dr. D reached out to us. I know. Um, and that was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it, it started with, it started with that. And then it, it kind of was just, um, I don't know. I think maybe like the, the idea of it becoming real and becoming yeah. something that we're actually coming out where we're, we're like coming out there and here we are with cameras. I know, yeah. And I remember he was like, before we were coming out there, it was almost like he was trying to scare us off. Like he was warning us, like there's all these snakes out here. Like if you're coming here, you better, you better get a snake kit. And so yeah, we like, he was like, bring like, your snake kits. So we went and got a snake kit. We were like, we gotta get this. 
there's a chance we're going to get bit by snakes out here. <laughs> <laughs> we were really worried. The yeah. night before, I remember we were having, like, yeah, we were having total, like, anxiety attacks. Like, yeah. like man, like, there's going to be like, these fucking spiders and these fucking snakes out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and I remember, too, like, like, cause we were like, we were, we were nervous, like go, going there for the first time. And I remember like, we got up like super early. We're like driving in the middle of nowhere, um, in Tennessee. And, um, and I, I remember like, we like rolled up on his property and like, we're just driving down all these dirt roads trying to find his place. And there's like this gate. And I think he was standing by the gate. And we got there just like, I think the clock just turned a minute over like 9 a.m. or something when we were supposed to be there. And he just like ribbed us so hard for being like one minute late. I think the, <laughs> like the first 10 minutes of the conversation, he was just like ribbing us so hard about that. Uh, but then quickly he warmed up to us and uh, we spent some time just kind of getting to know him. And then the first thing I think we shot was him taking us through the storage locker that he had on his property, which was just like a, a treasure trove mm. of incredible archival video and photographs. Incredible. From, incredible. Like I, no. I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, how many, like how many other places could there be in the middle of nowhere America where there's just like a, a container sitting in a <laughs> field somewhere Filled with like priceless wrestling like artifacts and history, yeah. probably several. But he, yeah, and and uh, it, nothing was thrown away. Like you know, he's one of the he's one of the the subjects that we've you know um, interviewed where you know not everything was kept. You know, which is which is obviously for us like amazing. You know, to go through that and just nerd out over photos and other memorabilia and and, and stuff. Um, but also going there. It kind of was like, you know, because we actually spent about two, I think we spent, yeah, we spent two days with him. Um, and I, I kind of, it, it was kind of like uh, filming the Von Erich episode a little bit, like we did in season one, where, you know, we're kind of on uh, this, you know, wrestler's compound. You know, David kind of has built by hand his own compound, which is amazing. It's like he's built these, just these, these like, various structures on the property his house and like everything it's really this whole thing that he's maintained and built himself and it has this just like it just it just had this really like sequestered amazing quality to it um and it was it was like i, I want to say it was like definitely like near if not over 100 degrees it was unbelievably hot yeah. and there was like like no fans nothing like it was crazy he actually yeah. expected us to do the interview outside was what the plan was. And, um, and we had to like basically oh. tell him like we would die if yeah. we did the interview. Outside. I already run really hot. So like just, even if I was filming outside in the winter, I'm going to be sweating. So there I'm, I'm just, I'm drenched. I'm just like the whole day, just soaked in water. Yeah. And he was awesome. And him and his wife were so nice. They like just kept bringing out towels and stuff for us. Uh, yeah, it was wild. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. And um, we should talk about his wife, Peggy, um, because, yeah, yeah she's, she's just just she's just like amazing. And and I tried really hard. I mean, talk about interview subjects for the show. Um, I think my number one 
person that I wish could be in the show giving a point of view is actually David Schultz's wife, Peggy. Um, and I tried so hard, um, but she was, I think, you know, camera shy, didn't want to do it and was nervous about it. But she, um, you know, her and David have been together, I think, since like he was like, I want to say yeah. like 17 or something. It's been you over know? 55 years. I know that. Yeah, it's wild. And so she's been there for everything in his life. Like when he wrestled in Stampede, they like lived together in Calgary. You know, yeah, like you hear those stories when he was training with her Welch and like he like would come home and he was so sore like Peggy would have to like lift him out of the truck and like bring him into the house because he was just so beaten down. Yeah, she was there for every single aspect of his wrestling career and beyond. And uh, she also, you know, with all the lawsuits that, you know, he ha- that they had to endure, you know, which was really tough on them. That's actually one thing that David really didn't talk about that much in the interview. But, you know, like they were like facing down financial ruin with some of the uh, lawsuits that, that that they were engaged in with the WWE um, at, at, at certain points. And she was there like really managing that process. You know, I, I think she got even named in one of the lawsuits. And then uh, she also when David became a bounty hunter, like she became like a, a bail bonds person right like and pretty she much was, like yeah like when you see like the old video like the bounty hunting videos that they made like she's the one there like answering the phones and taking the calls and booking the like you know figuring out where the bounties are going and sending david off to go collect the bounties yeah and like she was really involved and in, like i think tracking a lot of these people down and, like and like you you would actually go into like his well into that like storage unit thing that he has there And you would just see like these boxes of files of like all of the like, you know, like all the bounty hunter targets, you know, with all the photographs and like what they've been charged and what they've, you know, and it was amazing. And she was a huge part of that. And so like to spend time with her and she was so nice. Yeah. And she She was so cool. She made us lunch like every day. (laughs) And and, uh, Apple turnovers. She made us like, God, don't forget about the Apple turnovers. But that's like it was a side like we really wish we could have shown because honestly it was like one of the more inspiring things I think I've ever seen like while making this show it was seeing the relationship between David and his wife and just like how they were like best friends and like still to this day and how they like they're just so close and there was just something so romantic about it like again like that time when I saw him at Starcast and he was just like this really hard exterior I knew there was something more to him. And then mm-hmm. when you see him around Peggy, his heart just like opens up and he's just like joking around with her and flirting with her. And like the and just to see them together after, you know, over 50 years of marriage, still being best friends and they're stuck to the hip and the love was there. And that honestly was really inspiring to see. Yeah, it was definitely like a whole aspect of the story that like we wish like really could have could have come through the episode. I think it would have, it would have added a whole nother layer to David as a character. But unfortunately, as hard as I tried and as many conversations I had with her and him about it, it just was kind of a, a no fly zone, unfortunately. But um, I knew as much as I knew it was like in their best interest, you know, because, but you know, you know, but you know, it's, it's also like, you know, someone who's not comfortable being on camera and yeah, you know, you're not going to force somebody to do it, but it just would have been amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you brought it up and, and Dr. Day said, get out of here, woman. 
right right yeah right. See, that's what you think like when you see those promos it's just so intimidating and yeah that like that one scene he did for vince where he's like screaming at his family and throwing them out the door and then you just see like really like when you're with this guy he like is this he can be really kind and romantic what a classic story where he had to explain no that wasn't my house that wasn't my wife those weren't my kids that was not my gun it was remarkable that vince ever had to even explain that to the police and i guess that's really one of the reasons a story like this would be picked for dark side of the ring is you guys have had a, a fun time sort of examining you know where reality and, and quote-unquote showmanship sort of get a little blurry and there's maybe not a better example than this but of course really the genesis of what we're talking about is john stossel getting slapped backstage and the thing i've always wondered was uh, how in the world does he get backstage and and stossel just in passing sort of says well vince must have approved it how in the world does does this even happen this doesn't feel like it, it should be like why would vince allow an investigative journalist backstage to Madison Square Garden. That's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, as as far as the is the story we got from from uh, the folks uh, that we interviewed, the the four people we interviewed. I mean, it it basically, you know, I guess they they he must have requested it and and he get, he got access to it. I mean, he must have maybe 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 Vince saw it as an opportunity, you know, to get publicity. Um, but to do it like, you know, cause, cause I think he's interviewed in the piece, isn't he not? I think Vince is interviewed in that piece. I, yes. I know I've seen a, a, a yes, John Stossel Vince thing. So I'm sure he probably saw it as an, as like a publicity opportunity. And especially if he could have featured some of his, you know, his heels, you know, kind of sticking up for the business. If that's what, it, if that's what this was going to morph into, did he, now the million dollar question is, did he anticipate, you know, for one of them to physically assault another, <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, but I think that I'm sure he was able to see that, you know, the controversy creates cash type mentality or that this, this exposure, um, as I'm ramping up for my, my, you know, WrestleMania and everything on this national platform is at least going to be worth some eyeballs, you know? Well, it's just remarkable to me. Um, and, and I think it adds a lot to, you know, the story, because we're going to hear later on in the story that, uh, when this lawsuit seemingly doesn't go away. And I think at first Vince thought, well, the heat will die down. So he sends Dr. D to Japan and they recreate this famous angle, which I think a lot of wrestling fans on Twitter last night were shocked to see mm -hmm. I actually knew about that though. I don't know how I knew that they recreated it, but it feels like we hear a lot of, uh, uh, especially in that era. You know, and obviously it's a, it's a stretch to make a comparison, but after the Brody incident, there were other promotions who wanted to run an angle about a quote unquote stabbing backstage because fans were just familiar with it. So I guess that's sort of typical promoter fair, but maybe one that a lot of folks would have assumed new Japan wouldn't participate in, but clearly they did. Um, but when, when he's sort of fading the heat, so to speak, the lawsuit doesn't go away. And eventually we see Vince ask, you know, David, Hey, uh, go ahead and sign this document saying that it wasn't my idea and that, you know, you're sort of holding me harmless. 
Mm-hmm. And that spells the end essentially of Dr. D and the WWF because he doesn't want to sign it. And then he tells a fantastical story about, uh, accosting Mr. T at ringside. And of course there's different versions of that story. And one even include the silly idea that he was hogtied with guns pointed to his head. It feels like a lot of the sort of fun of professional wrestling is it almost becomes like an old fishing tale. It just gets bigger as time goes on. What'd you think of Dr. D's story of being escorted out of the arena? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, I think this episode is, is a really good, uh, example to kind of, to, to use of like something that Jason and I kind of lean into when we do these episodes, which is, um, I know on this show that we've referenced um, Errol Morris's Thin Blue Line on the show before as a major influence to us as documentary filmmakers. Um, and um, there's basically there's another major influence, which is which is uh, Werner Herzog, who's a yeah. famous, you know, German filmmaker. And he made incredible films in the 70s and 80s. And then he kind of transitioned into becoming a documentary filmmaker. And he's always kind of been this proponent of, at the risk of me sounding pretentious right now, he's he's kind of always been a proponent of this idea of ecstatic truth, quote unquote, which is this idea of, you know, not necessarily truth in documentary doesn't always have to mean facts, you know, things that like, you know, um, just are just, you know, basic you know, because that can be very shallow in a documentary sometimes, where it's really the truth of of the people that you're doing the story about, what their truth is, and and how that evolves um, over time. And Werner Herzog always had the greatest kind of like the, like the best way to explain that in in like the approach in documentary filmmaking. It's kind of where the line you draw between making a documentary and then also making like you know a journalistic news piece, right? And uh, his example is like. In the world of literature, if 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 facts were the most like important thing in the world, then the Manhattan phone book would be the greatest book that's ever been written, you know, because, you know, John Smith. Yes. You know, he uh, lives on 14th Street and John Smith's, uh, you know, phone number is this, you know, like this. This is all true. Right. Um, But in the nature of documentary filmmaking, it. or in this approach to documentary filmmaking that it's like looking at, yes, John Smith does live on this street. This is his phone number, but what does John Smith have nightmares about? You know, how fucked up was his childhood? (laughs) You know, like it's kind of looking into like those aspects of truth. And I think in this episode, you see that on display in a lot of different compelling ways, which is, you know, you see kind of, um, you know, heightened versions of, I think these stories, like, you know, did were there FBI agents that like you know guarded Eddie Mansfield after um, you know the 2020 piece aired? Um, you know, did David have you know two guns pointed to his head as he was exiting uh, you know a wrestling arena with presumably fans everywhere? And you know, was cocaine planted on like Eddie Mansfield? <laughs> you know, in that and and of course you know eddie mansfield's uh line that lit up you know social media last night about uh you know uh comparing (laughs) comparing wrestlers to the to uh the abolishment of slavery and all that stuff is like 
you know, these, these are the truths of these individuals in the show, you know, and that's something that's always been something that we've always tried to highlight on the show, you know, and, and, and like lean into. Um, and especially because, especially because the, um, the nature of all these episodes deal with the, the, the blurred lines between reality and fiction. And, um, and, and that, that, that's like what wrestling, that's what's so interesting about wrestling as a sport. And so I think we always try and look at whether or not that's like a provable fact. Like if he had guns pointed to his head or if FBI agents were guarding Eddie Mansfield after this, it, it is kind of the truth of those people at that time when the interview was taking place. And so it becomes more of a compelling portrait of them as characters. So for us, it's like, I don't know, it's a long-winded way to answer your question, but it's just something I was reflecting on last night when I was watching it back again is kind of like, you know, it, it is just a fascinating glimpse into who these people are, I think, you know, um, and whether or not I think we, it's like that actually happened is a little bit beside the point because I think it reveals a lot about that person. If does that make sense? No, it does. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting that, that wrestling, I guess, like a lot of other you know, areas of entertainment, there's, there's sort of two approaches to this. We give some wrestlers a little bit of latitude and say, oh, well, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, which I think is a famous dusty Rhodes line. Like if you're going <laughs> to tell a story, you know, what's, what's wrong with adding a little spice to it. So on the one hand, when Dr. D saying, oh, I got hogtied and hauled out at gunpoint, I'm thinking, nah, you know what? I'm going to give him a pass. But then when Mansfield's talking about, oh, people are trying to plant cocaine on me. And I had four FBI agents on the plane with me. And, uh, I was just doing that whole thing just to get the boys healthcare. That's the reason I bladed on camera to get, to take care of these promoters and, and, to, and to encourage them to take better care of us. And we needed healthcare and we needed a union. Fuck off. Like the, the Mansfield stuff just rang so hollow to me, Jason, I know you weren't there for that, but you got to see the footage. Are we on the same page here? Mansfield's full of shit. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's like, I think like, I don't know what his intentions were necessarily at the time. You know, there's, you could definitely come away with it thinking that like, he was just like pissed off at promoters and this was like an act of revenge, but I don't know, maybe over like the course of the year since he's like changes, like kind of perspective on it or his perspective on wrestling. I'm not completely sure really where like his heart lies in that regard, but he does bring up like some, I think like some good points. It's just, um, you know, it's just hard to kind of weed through the, the rest of it in a way. Yeah. Like, you know, there are some things that he says on the episode, which I do believe, well, I mean, they're very relevant to today. You know, they're conversations that, we're having about wrestling right now in terms of, you know, in terms of healthcare and retirement and all that stuff. And, um, there are important things to talk about. And there were some, you know, there are some important points that he's bringing up, but like to have that thought back then, I don't know. Um, and, and to me, like, this is just my personal opinion, but it's almost like, I think when he went on that TV program and he did expose the business, I'm sure I'm just speculating here. But I mean, you know, there there was a bit like a bitterness towards the industry in, in terms of how he was treated by promoters, um, as he does explain. And I just feel like for him that the fallout of this was maybe way greater than he he anticipated that it would be. And maybe there was some remorse that he had in terms of doing it. 
And I think maybe the only way he was able to really come to terms with it and be able to like kind of talk about it and, you know, <laughs> move on was to kind of have that narrative about it. You know what I mean? Um, and I think maybe at his core, like he does feel that way. I mean, he was very passionate about those issues. Like in the, in the, when we were doing the interview, like, you know, that the, all the promos he were cutting, you know, was essentially about that. But, you know, it's hard to say, like, in, in te- and, and, unless we could get the actual raw footage of that 2020 interview, which we tried to do, by the way. Um, <laughs> we tried to see if the, the actual raw footage, uh, the, the, the unedited footage of that, of that whole piece still exists, but it actually unfortunately doesn't. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of never really know about that. Or, and it's, it's kind of, you know, one of those things where we kind of leave it also up to viewers um, in a lot of ways because – you know, Eddie's explaining that his mindset was that he was being pressured to show the blade. But when you kind of as when you look at the footage and you see him um, sharing that information, it doesn't really seem like he's kind of withholding it or being pressured. He kind of seems like he's volunteering it and, and to me, you know, to my eye. So I don't know. You know, it's just I, I think it's just one of those things, you know, like this is over 35 years ago and a long time for stories and motivations to slightly evolve so i think it's just another one of the interesting layers of telling this this story especially since it has to do with something being real and or or fake (laughs) okay so help me out here evan you say that once upon a time eddie was sending you messages like oh i got friends in brooklyn but then he warms up to the idea Mm -hmm. of doing the interview but then you say later you know, it was on, it was off. Talk to us about working with Eddie Mansfield before the shoot, during the shoot, after the shoot. Well, before the shoot, I mean, like I said earlier, like there was a time where he just was like, like he was a, he was a no go. Like we weren't going to be able to get him. Um, which I was really bummed out about because like it, it, you know, it obviously just it feels like it needs him because he's a crucial part subject of that 2020 story. Of course. And we wanted our story to be about the 2020 piece. Um, and so obviously, you know, <laughs> he really seemed like he didn't want the story to be told. I mean, you know, if he's telling me that there's there's goons in Brooklyn that are going to be sent after me. Um, and I remember when we did the Jim Cornette thing, when we went to his house and we interviewed him for this episode. um, you know, that was around the time when we thought that Eddie Mansfield was, was, was a no go for the episode. And so Jim's doing his interview and Jim, you know, on some, some episodes, Jim is, is a subject, you know, he's part of the story. And then in other episodes, Jim kind of is your wrestling historian voice, um, for the episode. And this, you know, he was perfect for, I know I'm, I know I'm switching gears a little bit to Jim, but I'll come back to Eddie in a second. But Jim, you know, he, he kind of put this whole thing into perspective and to show that, you know, wrestling historically, all the different exposés that have been done about wrestling over the years, you know, have always led to, or like the, you know, um, uh, have always led to it hurting the business financially, you know, for, for an example, 
I I think there was like a I think it was the New York Times, uh, like back in the 30s, did like a whole newspaper expose about how wrestling is fixed and all this stuff, and then it actually led to wrestling not really running in Madison Square Garden for like 15 years, you know, until like the Gorgeous George era and everything like that. So there was always this direct correlation to like. You know, exposing the business equals that this hurts um, the business financially. And so and, you know, Jim is just, you know, such a wealth of knowledge in this whole area uh, of of wrestling history that we obviously want to include him. But it was really funny because when, when when he sat down to do the interview, we were basically like, you know, we got to the Eddie Mansfield part of the of the story and was like, you know, and I think just I just casually mentioned I was like, yeah, like, unfortunately, like Eddie's not going to be involved in the piece. And, you know, he said, like, he's got some people in Brooklyn that are going to be coming for us, you know, and he was like, what? And and I just told him the story of like, yeah, you know, we, we, we were we were he told us not to tell this story and to look the other way and all this stuff. And then Jim cut the, you know, and I, and this is takes in a lot of territory here, but the most incendiary promo I've maybe heard Jim ever cut on Eddie Mansfield <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really entertaining, but we couldn't quite use it in the episode because it's like, you know, he's your historical voice. You know, he's like, you're almost your, your like secondary narrator. You know, it's like, you can't, you can't have like in your documentary, like Richard Attenborough or like Leonardo DiCaprio, like Leonardo DiCaprio basically being like, you know, you motherfucker, I'm going to bring you out into the fucking middle of the street and shoot off your goddamn kneecaps, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Like, how dare you, like you know, <laughs> threaten the, these fine producers of this program? You know, and it was it was amazing. It's one of the one of the more mental, uh, amazing Jim Cornette promos. We are, we Maybe got, it'll it'll get out there somewhere someday. Somewhere you gotta you gotta tweet that when the season's over. Come on. <laughs> I think there might be a deleted scene of it. Actually, isn't there? <sighs> I can't remember. I think there might be, I think there might be. And, and it, and it's, oh, it's, it's epic. It's really epic. And he says, you know, um, but it was, it was cool. Cause he kind of stood up for us and he's like, you, you threatened the producers of this fine program. And, um, and, uh, he cuts this promo. It's epic. And then, um, and then once we had com once conversations between us and Eddie resurfaced, um, cause we had this conduit, we had our friends too. And we, we, we kind of, he was our mediator, I guess you could say, in order to get him back on board for this episode. Um, you know, the Jim Cornette promo or the threat of the Jim Cornette promo was a somewhat of a factor, I think, in, in, in Eddie wanting to participate, thinking that, okay, well, there's this epic promo that's going to be cut. You know, I better, I better fire back. And so he did. And he, he has a whole promo he cut about Jim Cornette. Um, and so then there were early cuts of this episode that were basically just like all four of these guys just fucking cutting promos on each other, you know, like nonstop, you know, like you have John Stossel saying, fuck you, David, which is amazing. And then you have, you know, David talking about Eddie and then Jim talking about Eddie and then Eddie talking about Jim and Eddie talking about David talking about Stossel, you know, and it was just like this crossfire thing that was like you know interesting but then again it's like how much you know you got to tell the story too and again because jim is kind of in that narrator position in this or more in the historical voice in this position it, it kind of felt weird for someone who's not really involved in the story just to start cutting promos on <laughs> people who are part of the show but it is entertaining but so 
so then, yeah, once we got to Houston and once we kind of, you know, once, you know, the situation cooled down, like, you know, he, he was, he was cool, you know, and his, um, you know, and, and, and doing the interview with him was fine. And, um, he also brought, um, he brought the grappler, uh, with him as well. Len Denton, right. He brought the grappler with him and was like, you guys should interview the grappler. And I was just like, whoa, I didn't know I was going to be interviewing the grappler today, you know, and it was kind of like kind of being blindsided with this with this whole thing. And and it's and I, I felt bad because it's like, you know, he's not really part of this story. And, and you know, I don't want to waste his time and everything. So it was a little bit of a, of a crazy day. But, you know, his his interview, as far as a in, as, as far as an engaging, passionate interview goes, I mean, you know, I, I was very happy with it. I was very happy with his interview. Um, and once the, that was all said and done, uh, it was good. But then like, you know, after when we wrapped production, you know, um, there was just kind of between David and between Eddie, there was just a lot of uncertainty about how, what this piece was going to be like. And so I think that they kind of, both of them and respectfully were just kind of getting anxious about it. And, um, you know, it takes time to edit these things and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And, uh, I think that, you know, we, I just had to field kind of a lot of quelling of anxieties, um, for several months, all the way up until last night and probably now and through until today, um, just in terms of the whole thing. Um, because again, like I was saying, this story has so much to do with, you know, the, the media and, uh, the distrust of, you know, their, how their careers have been portrayed. And I don't know how David feels about the episode. And I, and I, and I hope that David likes it. Um, you know, I hope that he likes it. I haven't heard from him yet, but I, I, I hope that he, I hope that he dug it. Well, he's probably coming to look for you. You know, the, the footage we <laughs> saw of him as a bounty hunter, yeah. uh, especially <laughs> the stuff that, uh, you guys teased on Twitter that felt like it was from a Japanese home video or something like that. It was just tremendous. Uh, <laughs> how, how much fun was it, Jason, to explore the, the sort of a bounty hunter version of Dr. D's persona. That was a really cool aspect of his life that I didn't really know too much about other than just seeing the odd clip that I could find on YouTube. But then when we went through a storage locker, he just had so many more tapes of, from his bounty hunting days. Um, but that, to me in some ways was just man it was like almost even more fascinating if you could say than the wrestling stuff um because he has so many intense bounty hunting stories and he told us a few of them and you know it would have been great like we could do a whole episode just about his bounty bounty hunting exploits but we highlighted one of them that is like a story he gets into even more detail in in his book um but that bounty hunting uh, story of how he like tracked down this guy who had like kidnapped two young girls and had them in captivity for like I think it was over two years and the FBI tried to take this guy down and rescue them but they couldn't find him and so they got Dr. D on it and he was able to track them down and the fir his first we didn't put this in the episode but it, the the first time he found the guy he just told the FBI as to where this guy's whereabouts were and the FBI like screwed it up and the, this guy got wind uh, that they were on his tail. And so they took off. I, th I believe they took off. Yeah, it was down to Puerto Rico. And so then David decided he would go down there himself and he tracked the guy down, found him in a bar and, you know, took him 
took him in and took these two girls in and they had like a baby and two like I think like like guard dogs with them as well too and he's a crazy scene yeah. yeah like he talked about how like he brought them back uh to where the girls were from and he hand delivered the two girls to uh, <laughs> their parents and uh, to this day he still keeps in touch with them and um, but it was just a remarkable, like crazy story. Like it's yeah, just, fearless. He's so yeah, fearless. So fearless. Like, like, yeah. Like when you hear about him being like bounty hunting, like in the Bronx in the like mid eighties, you know, just like being there by himself at like 2am is, um, just, yeah. So intense. Like, but you know, I can't imagine being somebody opening their door and seeing, David Schultz standing there looking for you like maybe of all the subjects we interviewed he'd probably be the one I'd be least surprised if I heard a knock on my door and I opened it and I saw David yes that's why I'm that's why I won't be sleeping tonight either the next couple weeks but um I I have to just point out that I just love that that one clip of the guy uh in the whole bounty hunter section of the episode where that one guy's like he must be like snorting speed, and he's like, "Oh, that's the one that beat the shit out of Geraldo Rivera." Yeah, you know, or whatever. You know what he's talking about? Yeah, he's like a fan of Doctor D. Yeah, yeah. Gonna I feel be- good going there with you. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's tremendous. One of the things that did jump out is in wrestling. It's almost one of those deals where no matter what, you never talk about money. And John Stossel just comes out with it. Yeah, I was hurting, and then I got two hundred eighty thousand dollars, and I started to feel a little better. Yeah, and the the gerosomatic illness, sure, um, is 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 an interesting thing because I think he, you know, his he 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 comes off, you know, very heelish, you know, in that in that section, but he um he was explaining in his interview that he actually believes that that is an actual phenomenon. Um, I'm just explaining how he feels about it. Yeah, he's done a piece about it too. Yeah, where he he actually feels like, you know, he was holding on to his anger and holding on to his pain um, over this thing, and 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 when that doctor told him that you have a gerosomatic illness, you know, he he was he was basically like, you know, fuck you, you know. But then like when he but he said when he did get paid, um, you know, then then it started to actually let it go and his pain finally <laughs> subsided. And you know he, he he believes that as like a as like a scientific phenomenon. That's sure. what he was explaining to me, to to us. No, I get it. It's just hysterical to me because it's almost like you know I'm going to spike the ball on you, but then later he's like, oh shit, maybe there's something to it. But the number two eighty really <laughs> jumped out because we we never hear things like that. And then you guys, of course, examined other similarities, uh, you know, with the whole Richard Belzer incident. I mean, I was low-key expecting you to bring up the whole Vader thing, but that probably would have been way too difficult to explain. But over the years, a lot of guys have sort of jumped to the defense. And I thought maybe the line of the episode, besides the go-home line, is from Jim Cornette, where he says, man, Hulk Hogan could have shot Richard Belzer in the head and he wasn't getting fired. Uh, Just just tremendous. Um, So good. When you guys are, are sort of putting this story together... I'm sure you felt like, Hey, we need to sort of stitch this stuff together and show that this wasn't a one-off thing. Other stuff like this happened. And then eventually we realized maybe it was all for naught because to avoid some taxes, Vince sort of did the same thing. And man, you want to talk about silly seeing the undertaker in full quote unquote gimmick standing next (laughs) to the governor of New Jersey. My gosh, that stands out. Does it not? 
I know. I, I want that action figure playset of like the yeah. uh, Undertaker at the at like the New Jersey uh, State Athletic Commission sure. playset. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, there's, been, there's been like more clips that I didn't even know about that have come out since we started teasing this episode. There was a couple others. Yeah. Like I had. Oh, yeah. The, the one of Buddy uh, of uh, the uh, Buddy man. Figure four. Yeah. Have you seen that one before, Conrad? I, I before? Have. He really applies the figure four like Yeah, that was almost more scary than the slap, I thought. It is scary, yeah. Yeah. He's like, come on! <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's just like being in the grips of a wrestler like that, and you're screaming like, no, and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, we had a lot of fun like the other day on social media, just, you know, kind of sharing all the great moments of, you know, wrestler on journalist, uh, violence. And, um, it's interesting just like, and also, you know, Cornette explains that the whole move that Hogan had on Belzer was kind of this old trick, you know, that they would do to like skeptics, you know, that that was something that they would do. And you even see it. And there, there's also another one. I don't know who the TV host is, but one of the, one of the fabs, uh, puts on uh, puts on a puts on a headlock or a sleeper on on some other TV host that is skeptical about wrestling, um, and so it was it was fun to kind of share the greatest hits of that uh, the other day on social media. But the Belzer one is 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 very on topic because um, you know because it happened so soon after the Stossel one. And it involves Hogan, who's part of this story in, in some ways. And um, yeah, and and then that's that's way more violent. I mean, you know, the, he cracked his head open. And and actually, if you go on YouTube and you just search for it, you search for the Hogan Belzer thing, you'll see like a segment with him talking about it, um, like after the fact. Like he like uh, he like plays the clip back, and then he actually turns around and like shows you like the stitches like in his head from like where his head busted open. And like it's pretty crazy, you know. It's pretty pretty crazy. I mean, it's hard to imagine this stuff happening uh, just in what we know now and lawsuits and everything, and just how the industry has changed. This episode really sticks out in a way of like, man, the industry has changed, hasn't yes. it? Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm glad you said that. And we we we, sh we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Hulk Hogan because I got to tell you, one of my my favorite things of this episode is Doctor D wanting to feel like. You know, he properly conveys to the audience, Hey, Hulk Hogan is nothing special. When I met him, he didn't have nothing. He was living in his van. He used to sleep at my house. You can tell it's coming from a bitter place of, Hey, I felt like this guy was my friend. And he even examined that in the story where he admits, yeah, he's probably one of the better friends I ever had until mm -hmm. he turned his back on me. But when he did, it's like Dr. D just switched it off, man. And I love when you guys are in his storage facility and he's flipping through pictures and I think we hear Jason say, Hey, what's on the back of that photo? And he turns it around and old friend forgot his name. Just fucking yeah. remarkable because you know, it's done with a wink and a smile, but there is yeah. some real bitterness in Dr. D towards his old pal, Terry, yeah. about how all of this came together. And Jason, I think maybe you were the person who zeroed in on that first, at least from what we saw on camera. What can mm -hmm. you tell us about the Hogan relationship, Jason? Well, it was very apparent, like right off the top. Like I said, when we first landed at his place, the first thing we did was set up the cameras and we started filming in that storage locker. And so, yeah, he started going through those photos. And every time like Hogan would come up, he would just like start ribbing him. And it was like the whole time <laughs> we were there, if he came up, you just like, but it was like, it was kind of like, 
it wasn't done in any kind of like I don't know. There wasn't like I didn't feel any like real malice. Ve- yeah, malice or venom. I could sense that like I bet these guys could get together and patch things up, you know, that they were old buddies and I bet they're I don't know, maybe that could like happen again or some I don't know. But I just got a sense it was just like he just kept ribbing him like you would rib like an old friend kind of I don't know, that you had like some problems with uh but I don't know. It, it was really it was really interesting. Like that energy was there and it was very palpable. But um, it was just I don't know. It was, there, it was it was funny. It was there was something charming about it. Evan, you've always been uh, sort of shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you know, whatever, maybe you land amongst the stars. Is Hogan one of the stars you're aiming for for this show? Because it feels like uh, he would have been a, a, a suitable person to talk to about all of this. Oh man, I yeah, would love to have had Hogan's perspective on this whole story. I mean, you know, obviously we included that little bit of when he commented on the Mr. T situation on Steve Austin's podcast. Um, but yeah, to be able to have Hogan's side of the story would definitely be interesting, especially in the hopes of like what Jason was saying in order to patch things up. I would have loved to have helped to facilitate that. Um, because, you know, you can tell you know, that they like just from also reading Dr. D's book too, which I highly recommend. Um, hey, let's uh, that right oh, fast. don't call me fake. The real story of Dr. D David Schultz. Uh, it came out last year. It's available absolutely anywhere. You enjoy books. Uh, Amazon.com has it anywhere else, but the name of the book, which everyone, myself included recommends it's don't call me fake. The real story of Dr. D David Schultz. So just wanted to mention, uh, it's a big time book. Bret Hart does the forward. It's, uh, it's a pretty special look at one of the more unique characters in the history of wrestling. And the back cover is worth it just for the photo of him pointing a pistol right at your face. So check it out. <laughs> yeah, Don't call yeah. me fake. Totally. <laughs> but it's really apparent from that book, just like the relationship that they had as friends, especially David knowing him, you know, when he was a, a bass player in a, in a, in a bar band, you know, um, and so that 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 was really interesting. So I think to be able to go back all the way, you know, to pre Hulk Hulkamania, and to be able to tell that whole side of their story, because I mean, those guys were such rivals in the AWA. Something yeah. that something that we didn't really get a lot of runtime to really get into, and uh, that would have been great. Um, but some of those you know, matches are good too. Actually. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And um, and uh, you know, we did contact. Um, you know, someone who's very close to Hulk and basically pitched the idea, like, let me take your temperature on this. What do you think the likelihood is, uh, the likelihood is of Hogan participating in a Dr. D a documentary? And I was basically told, like, there was no chance in hell. So I didn't really pursue it beyond that. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, we had our, our little, uh, you know, Hogan drama last season. And that also you know, we would have liked to have patched that up as well. Cause we, cause, because we really do want him on the show. I mean, how can you do a show about this world and not have him on it? Um, and so, so yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, th- this, this, this episode was a hard one to cast. I mean, you know, um, because we also talked to a lot of wrestlers who were there the, the, the night of, um, the, the infamous slap. And a lot of them are, um, are, are, are no longer with us. We talked to the Iron Sheik as maybe like, should we get the Iron Sheik in this episode? Cause he was supposedly in the hallway and obviously Mr. Fuji's no longer with us. He would have been great for the series 
as a broadly, you know, um, you know, and, and, and that whole thing. So it was really tough to find like, who were the voices that really could tell the story. And one of them, which we literally put an APB out for was, uh, someone we actually could not zero at all was Mr. T like impossible. Um, we did like a, like a, like a where in the world is Carmen San Diego on, on Mr. T and we could not find him. Um, like, it was remember that Jason? Like, yeah. Oh literally. yeah, yeah. He was wanting to, you know. There's a few people we really regret not getting for the season, and that's you know, Mr. T is a, near the top of that list. Um, but hey. yeah, just we tried everything. It Evan, just, did you text me for Mr. T's number? Because I, I I can get yep. that. <laughs> well, I think it was like I don't remember if I did, but like we got all the agents info we called him at the church he works at like we we tried like everything i don't even know if that would have worked like just to get a call back so i don't know we maybe i maybe i i messed up and i I should ask you for it but like yeah like (laughs) we 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 really tried to get him like that was that that was something we were yeah we were like you know what's what's the mr t update you know this week everybody you know well Um, i mean listen if you found where he works and he talked to his agent uh the reality is he just, he didn't want to do it. Right. I mean, that's all there is to it. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, but this was, a, I, go ahead, I gotta listen. say too, I was just going to say like, if they, I like, I've heard they're going to do that, like Hogan movie, like a biopic movie. Yeah. Like, I'm just like how, like they gotta have David Schultz's character in that. Like, if <laughs> can you imagine? Oh my God. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, w- one of the, one of the reenactment shots I just want to that made makes me chuckle is the shot of Hogan on on David Schultz's couch. That might be one of the more funny moments on set for me, for sure. The thing that really <laughs> stuck out to me, you know, when we're talking about things we sort of didn't know going into this, is the idea that the same night that Doctor D slaps Stossel, he wrestles oh, yeah. Antonio Inoki in Madison Square Garden. Are you kidding me? I know. Yeah. Yeah, times have changed a little bit. I just love that. Like, I'm just gonna slap John Stossel, and I'm going out to wrestle Anoki. <laughs> yeah, I actually just like watched that match again this morning. Uh, just because I was like, I want to know. I just I forgot like what his demeanor is like when he walks into the ring because it's like right at minutes after, you know. And he's just walking in there, just so confident. It's just like any other day, you know. It it like seems like nothing had phased him. Oh, one thing we should talk about, actually. Hold on. Hold the phone. I just remember this. Is um, in the actual footage that we got, um, David actually had probably, I'm guessing from the lawsuit, but he actually had an extended version of that, of the slap scene. So um, I think we still have it in the cut, right? At the end where you see Vince come out? Yeah, you do. Yeah. That's not in the 2020 broadcast where you see Vince come out and him being like, David, yeah, David, what the hell is the matter with you? Like that's, that's, that, that was in this, like, you know, uh, I, I'm assuming that was like evidence in the, in the, <laughs> in the lawsuit, but that was kind of a cool little relic that was, that was, uh, that, that, that we had discovered and come across that that whole little extra bit of footage of, of, of him coming out to reprimand, uh, David, David. And then you kind of see David's like, like you see the, you see the anger in his eyes and you see him like, you know, and he, and he like cusses out John Stossel and then he kind of does a double take and starts turning back the other way is pretty, it's pretty, pretty amazing to see. I got to tell you, man, I, I've probably seen that clip, as I said, as a tape trader so many times, you know, in the mid to late nineties, but it wasn't until I watched it back 
on you guys show that I saw Mr. Fuji hanging out in the background and, <laughs> and, and the thing that made me laugh a little bit is we've heard Bruce Pritchard talk about what a notorious river Fuji was, but every now and again to really rib guys who were sensitive and nervous about a Fuji rib, he wouldn't rib them at all. And when Bruce asked him about it, he says, best rib, no rib. My and favorite. The, and That's the, incredible. I, and what a line that is, because you, you just wonder like what's going through Fuji's mind as he sees, okay, here's an investigative reporter here to shut us down. Oh, and wow. One of the boys really just slapped the shit out of him. Best rib, no rib. <laughs> if you actually study the footage, if you go like frame by frame, like he pretty much no sells the, uh, the slap. Yeah. Like he's just chilling back there. Like, you know, like probably plotting his next rib. <laughs> Well, what's, what's fascinating too, is, you know, there's lots of theories about sort of the, the dark side of professional wrestling, pardon the pun. And a lot of guys think that Fuji once upon a time was one of the, uh, the fixers for the WWF. And so if there was a situation that was going bad, that, you know, maybe they needed to protect the business or protect the company. Fuji may or may not have been involved in that, whatever that may mean. And the idea that he's just in the doorway watching this all happen, just really stuck out a, because of the, the funny joking nature we've heard of, of, of Mr. Fuji. But then when you hear, well, once upon a time, he may have been like a fixer or a cleaner for the company. And he's just here, just checking it out and watching it all happen. One of the biggest moments in wrestling history, the slap heard around the world and what a way this episode ended. Uh, you know, <laughs> with, with Stossel, it's funny because Evan, when you sent me a link for this, I don't know, a week or two ago to sort of preview it, the first thing it, you, you always want me to give you my feedback right after the first thing I text you after was fuck you, David, how <laughs> remarkable of an ending is that? I mean, when he hits that line, you guys have to know like, oh, that's the fucking go home closing line right there. <laughs> that was his, that was his go home line in the interview. He was like, fuck you, David. All right, guys. See you later. You know, like literally like it was amazing. Cause I just didn't, I didn't anticipate him to like have necessarily like, cause yeah, cause I, cause, oh, one thing I should mention is that David was really keen on wanting to get in the same room with John Stossel again. Oh, wow. Like, I can't believe I forgot about this until this moment right now. But basically, he really wanted me to try and orchestrate them sitting down together again. And that was what, like, the original idea was, was to actually, like, you know, build to a, like, ha to have the finish be them, like, you know, coming together again, right? Which would have been amazing. Um but, you know, for, for John, there was no interest in that, essentially. But David had a lot of interest in it, and I think maybe for some to bury the hatchet, for to have some closure, because he doesn't necessarily, you know, he, he, he does put a lot of his anger in this whole situation to more towards Vince than he does towards John, you know? Like, I think that the John aspect of it as well, you know, he's this kind of a guy, but whatever. But um, so I think he he because that's why he says in the episode when uh, David's like, I'm not going to hit you, boy, or whatever he says, you know, um, like he just want he always wanted to get face to face with him again. And I think he even tried over the years to make it happen. But but John was never really into it. And so <clears throat> I was just surprised that John had that kind of venom for David still, because obviously, you know, John is the one that really made out like a bandit in this situation, right? Like, I mean, he gets the 280,000, you know? So I thought, you know, it's kind of, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like weird to kind of hold on to that still, but I guess it kind of gives you a view into, you know, how much this, I guess, affected him in some ways, you know, so, and how much it maybe still either humiliates him or, or still, uh, you know, um, causes him because he does say in the episode, it's so annoying that it's one of my top clips, you know? So maybe there is some heavy resentment there, but when he said that line in the interview, it was a hard not to just pop sure. completely. Um, which happens from time to time on, on, on the show, but, um, was like, yeah, definitely going to be the go home line. There was no question about it. I would still love to see that though. Like Conrad, I don't know if there's any way you could do that for a future star cast. Oh my God. It would be a big deal. Oh my God. Can we please? Well, here's the the trouble with that. Stossel seems like a shithead. Does he not? Well, I mean, no, I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. He, he's so flippant. Like, you know, yeah, I liked it as a kid, but you know, it's phony. It's silly. It's stupid. And then later after he's sort of shit all over something that we all really like, he referred to the piece that he did, as you've said a few times here as annoying, like, oh, it's annoying that they remember it. Uh, well, what the fuck else are you known for? Like you did this story <laughs> and it was memorable and you got 280 G's for it. And now you're like, oh, it's so annoying that that's what I'm remembered for. Like. He has such a disdain for wrestling. I don't know that I would even want to do anything with him. I think that would be fun heat for an audience that's done sarcastic. I think, <laughs> I think, well, what I was going to say is that maybe now that the pieces come out and that John Stossel was actually trending on Twitter last night, uh, which I couldn't believe. Right. But yeah, maybe now there's, there's like the rebuttal. I mean, I'm sure all of these guys, I'm sure David's, there's some things that David probably wanted in this episode that didn't make it in that I'll get texted about at four in the morning. And I'm sure that Ed, you know, I already know Eddie Mansfield, there's some things that he wanted to have in the episode that he texted me at four in the morning. And so maybe all of that, you know, th- there can be the whole, yeah, the whole sequel to this, but it'll be live and in, in, in color and, you know, in front of everybody. Be incredible. Yeah. One last Book thing it. before we, we wrap things up here. Is the most tone deaf, stupid thing you've heard in the history of Dark Side of the Ring not Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, but he forgot to free the wrestlers? Uh, that is the most uh, cringeworthy shit I have ever heard. And I'm from Alabama. How in the world <laughs> does Eddie Mansfield let some shit like that fall out of his mouth and not realize, oh no. It's something I guess he like even says in the piece that it's something that he's he says it's like something that he's it's his catchphrase he uses it on shoot interviews and it just goes to show you what a fucking idiot Eddie Mansfield is am I wrong here Evan have you heard him say that before yeah somewhere yeah oh you have fire up YouTube he says it on shoot interviews with RF video and other folks and he he just thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he's a goddamn dumbass Uh, I didn't know that he's used that before. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, like I was saying, going back to talking about German filmmakers and ecstatic truth, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, definitely part of, uh, you know, his yeah. mindset and the way that he looks at this. That's yeah. for sure. And there's, there's a good quote actually from Herzog. He's like really well known as being a wrestling fan, but he, yes, he's once quoted as saying like someone asked him why he likes wrestling. And he said, my answer is the poet must not advert his eyes from what's going on in the world. In order to understand what's going on, you have to face it. And so he talks a lot about how you can learn things from the world and people's perspectives through watching wrestling. And if you want to better understand the world, 
wrestling can help you do that. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, I feel sorry for the wrestlers who weren't freed, I guess. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not a good sign. It's well, listen, a, next advisable. week, is there anything else we need to touch on here? Because I'm excited to talk about next week's episode. Oh, me too. Um, I don't think so. I have everything crossed off my list here. I mean, this was, you know, I, the last thing I want to say about this episode is, um, you know, this episode is a little bit of a departure for us. You know, normally we're, we're looking at these just, you know, these these horrifying tragedies in this industry or some of the darkest stories. And it was really for us to kind of be able to do something a little different and kind of, you know, it, and it was it was a good challenge to basically take a story, you know, where we're really talking about 20 seconds of time, like a like a 20 second moment in time, you know, when this these these two slaps occurred and. Can we build a whole episode out of it? And so I, I actually really liked the challenge of putting this together and having it be more of a quote unquote fun episode um, uh, to where there is some some humor in it. And but at the same time that there are, you know, stakes to the story and, you know, all this was very real for David. And, you know, he definitely did lose his career. And but but thankfully, you know, he really he he, he really came into his own and and uh, got into probably the perfect business for someone like him. Uh, which is bounty hunting. So, but this whole this whole thing was um, a really fun process to make this episode. Even though there was a lot of politicking back and forth, uncertainty, and being worked and all around and stuff, uh, it was um, it was a, it was a cool departure for us to do an episode like this. I have to say. Well, next week is going to be something that I feel like a lot of wrestling fans are going to learn for the very first time. Uh, way before there was a star cast, there was a guy named John Arezzi who. Didn't have a podcast, but he had a, a hot wrestling radio show in the New York market. And he decided to parlay that into a massive wrestling convention. Maybe the first of its kind. It was a who's who, uh, who attended, including Ric Flair and Paul Lee and famously Herb Abrams, who decides that he wants to announce a super promotion where his booker will be blackjack Mulligan, who happens to be in prison. <laughs> and, uh, one of his key stars will be Bruiser Brody who is dead. Uh, and yet somehow he managed to finagle, uh, quite the little upstart with, uh, syndicated television all over the country and major figures participating. And we examine next week, the good, the bad, and the ugly, how it went sideways. And let me give you a, a bit of a spoiler. Uh, Dave Meltzer called BS on this guy very quickly in the observer and, and kept poking and prodding at herb until eventually there's an enhancement talent match that happens on one of these shows. And Dr. Death squashes a guy named little Davy Meltzer. And then at the end of the match stuck a sheet in his mouth and covered him with a bag of dirt. Get it? Dirt sheet. Mm -hmm. this, this crazy person was at least at one point, at one moment, thought to be an influential person in wrestling. And we examine how crazy it was. And by the way, what we've just talked about does not even scratch the surface. Is that fair to say, Evan? <laughs> yeah, I am very excited to unveil this episode, um, next week. Um, it, it is, uh, it's, it's been a whole, like making this episode has been a complete, full-on discovery for for both Jason and yeah. I. Um, this this story was not something that we were super hip to. 
um, when we when we when we when we started making it. It was something that like you know, we're going into these interviews and just genuinely, you know, cause most of the interviews you do, you, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty prepared and you know the story, you know, the kind of where you want it to go and how the story you're kind of wanting to tell. But for this, it was literally just like all the interviews we did, I, I was being blown away. And then the cast of characters that we have for this episode, uh, you mentioned John Arezzi is amazing guy, oh, incredible so, guy. Yeah. He's, he's one of my favorite interviews in the piece actually. And then, uh, Mick Foley, um, you know, comes back for uh, to to Dark Side of the Ring because he he really cut his teeth in uh, Herb Abrams UWF, and his he's incredible in the episode as well. He he uh, definitely uh, has some amazing stuff in it, and yeah, th this is just a this is like, like the way that I've been kind of describing this episode to to people. Um, you know, and forgive me if this sounds too like industry, but I've been kind of describing it as like you know Boogie Nights meets um the fire festival of wrestling oh, wow. you know uh in in terms of a way to kind of describe just what like what's in store for next week you know like in terms of this this is the this is the very minimal rise and epic downfall of this of this um wrestling organization that you know tried to basically do kind of what wcw would eventually do right is like you know Put together uh, a roster of you know former WWE talent and really try to compete, go head to head with the TV deal. Except for, I mean, this is on a way lower scale than that, but it it, it unfortunately failed pretty miserably. Um, and it was all kind of the the creation and the dream and the motivation of a man named Herb Abrams, who is this enigmatic, um, charismatic, definitely um, individual um, in cowboy boots who you know, essentially got everyone to believe in his vision. It's just that the vision didn't quite, uh, didn't quite get executed, um, is one way to put it. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, you, you won't, you won't believe the last 10 minutes of the episode. Yeah. It was a dream that became a nightmare very quickly. It's yeah. remarkable. You've got to go out of your way to see it. I learned so much. I have a new Holy grail belt I need to find. And yes. I, <laughs> I it is the coolest wrestling belt. Like, well, I, I should rephrase that. It's it's a very unique wrestling belt. No, fuck. I think it's the coolest wrestling belt. It's tremendous. It's really cool. It's so, yeah. The, especially when you understand the backstory. Like, when you just see the belt for what it is, you're like, oh, my God, look at this. But then you hear the story, and you're like, okay, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it is. Yeah, it's actually one of the moments in the episode where you're like, all right, Herb, Herb's got a good sense of humor. Herb's, pre Herb's all right. Well, and and... The line of the series comes from Mick Foley at the very end. Uh, I, I feel like you guys have, have, you're on to something now. This, this great line from John Stossel in this week's episode and the tremendous home run line from Mick Foley next week. Just fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. So excited for everybody to see this. We'll be back next Wednesday to break it down. Of course, you need to join in the conversation. Use hashtag dark side of the ring. Uh, and of course, be sure to catch the, uh, the Abrams episode next Tuesday night, 10 PM Eastern on vice. I have direct TV. It's channel 271 for me. And, um, I guess we should mention you guys have a lot of different social media platforms that we could plug and, and let people see some more behind the scenes content. Evan, give them those handles. Yeah. Um, you can follow us at dark side of ring on Twitter and at dark on Instagram. 
Um, I'm at Evan Husney on Twitter and Instagram, and Jason is I'm, at Jason. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you oh, yeah, I'll jump in. No, I'm you Jason tell Eisner at Twitter and Instagram. There you go. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you tomorrow for another episode of Grill and JR, and next Wednesday for another Dark Side of the Podcast. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Now, um, James, what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Um, I needed a refi. Uh, I've been listening to Conrad's show for a couple of years. It was it was very you know it was very competitive uh, with what I was seeing locally and with my current lender. So I just decided to throw my business at Conrad. Was there anything specific that Conrad said on the shows that kind of made you take that first step? Interest rates are historically low, and two months without a mortgage payment seemed a really good deal. Um, off the top of your head, how much money were you able to save uh, through Save with Conrad? Man, I don't know what what the overall savings going to be i i needed to cash out to cover some other um other uh, outstanding debts and the the rate i dropped i was able to drop the rate down by almost a point and um basically keep my same payment but cash out enough to cover those outstanding debts and um have a little uh left over for a rainy day oh that's great it's pouring down rain here. Would you recommend Save with Conrad to any of your friends or family? Oh, sure. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.